Blog Talk Radio. of the Feuerstein Fire American Soccer Show as the United States in their final uh, friendly matchup tonight, defeating Bosnia and Herzegovina by a final of a goal to nil. Cole Bassett with the lone tally to get the final victory of 2021. And then we will now, of course, move forward and concentrate on the remainder of 2022 with the World Cup qualification matches as there are six remaining for the trip to Qatar to see if the United States can qualify for the World Cup in the Middle East. And uh, all you can really say is, I wouldn't call this a Camp Cupcake situation, because that will be next month, depending on uh, if we will get any friendly matches or not. Uh, but once again, you're seeing some players getting an opportunity. You're seeing some players getting a look at from uh, head coach Greg Berhalter as they go out and play, I would say, a very entertaining opening 45, but nothing much in the closing 45 until the goal finally came. And what we saw out there, to be honest, is a team that is basically, look, it's the end of a long, grueling regular season in playoffs in Major League Soccer. It's a situation where, once again, it's just been difficult to um, assess this type of play. What you can say is, and it is, in my opinion, occur. Uh, uh, encouraging is Jordan Morris looked to be uh, somewhat back to his old self. I thought he had a, a much better opening 45, lost a little bit of steam uh, through uh, the final, I would say, 15 minutes of the ma- for him, I should say, before he got subbed out in the match, which was the beginning of the second half. Um, he wasn't, and, you know, once again, you're coming back from such an injury in his leg that uh, it's kind of understandable why um, Jordan Morris was not able to uh, compete an entire 90 minutes. And that's fine. That's fine. To be honest, I was expecting him to play 45, maybe 50, and then he would be done for the rest of the night. But no, Greg Berhalter tried to push it. He did. And Greg Berhalter did uh, find a way to get his guy, which is Jordan Morris, or at least to get him back into the swing of things. And I think that's going to be very important because once again, the January qualifiers are going to be during a time where there's a lot of question marks depending on who's fit and ready to go because let's not forget, outside of England right now, outside of England right now, in Germany, in Italy, France, even in Spain, there's a winter break. England has no winter break. England plows right across that winter break 
And don't forget, the next weekend when Christmas comes around, there will be uh, FA Cup matches. Of course, Boxing Day matches will be happening. So it's a situation where, once again, you have to say it, that, you know, you can't have every single American player who performs either at Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, um, Lille, uh, uh, Red Bull Salzburg, you know, um, Juventus, Barcelona, um, and any other place in the in Europe, you know, they're not going to be playing so much. They're going to be taking their break. And it's up to uh, the U.S. men's national team, the head coach of it, the coaching staff, to find a way to get uh, some national team games going on, maybe have a friendly, maybe a week or two before that World Cup qualification reschedules, or re- I shouldn't say reschedule, but restarts itself as we get to uh, get those three big matches uh, towards the end of January, and of course the big one, which will be at the beginning of February as well. So once again, there is tons and tons of things that has to be done here. There are tons of mo- uh, very important parts of this national team that must pay attention to, uh, to go out and to secure the full three points uh, all over the place. Once again, I uh, just want to remind everybody of that schedule, and that's going to be on Thursday, January 27th. The United States will host El Salvador over at Lower.com Field back in Columbus, Ohio. Time has not been set for that one, which will be broadcasted on ESPN. And then the next match will be on the road, and that will be on Sunday, January 30th, a very early kickoff time over in Hamilton, Ontario, up in Canada, at 3 o'clock Eastern time. And that will be at Tim Hortons Field in Hamilton, Ontario. And that is the home stadium, not just for... um, for the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the Canadian Football League, but also for Hamilton Forge of the Canadian Premier League. And, of course, as everybody knows, uh, that Hamilton Forge club has done very well ever since uh, the Canadian Premier League has been invented, and that's helped the Canadian national team big time, not just because they've pl- they got good players coming from the Canadian Premier League now, and not just, of course, you know, you've got some of the best players in Europe that are Canadian are doing well. Of course, we all know about Alfonso Davies over at Bayern Munich, Jonathan David over at Lille, and then, of course, over at Besiktas in Turkey, Kyle Lauren, the former Orlando City uh, attacker. And, you know, many other players are also playing for uh, Club de Foot Montreal, Toronto FC, and the Vancouver Whitecaps. So uh, there are tons and tons of great Canadian players right now on that roster that's doing well. And once again, Jonathan Herdman has done a fantastic job for the Canadian men's national team. And also, let's not forget the final one, which will be the beginning of February, Wednesday the 2nd, and that will be at Allianz Field in St. Paul, Minnesota, as the United States will host Honduras. And now we have a start time for that one, which will be at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. And look how that works not just for the U.S. men's national team when it comes to travel, but also these kickoff times, especially the Canada game. 
that was a very big one to see what time uh, the Canadian uh, men's soccer team, the Canadian uh, Soccer Federation, how they were quick to give us a time that's going to start over over there in Hamilton at 3 o'clock start time. And even though there's no um, broadcast, uh, no broadcaster over there, be sure that it's definitely going to be uh, either, it's going to be CBS Sports. It just depends on, will it be on the Paramount Plus app by itself, or will we have it on CBS Sports Network, or possibly, possibly, if we get lucky here, if we get lucky, depending on uh, when it comes to uh, NFL playoff games, can this match be on CBS National? That's the big question mark. That I don't know, and that I am not going to uh, speculate on. I don't want to start speculating these things, but it would be interesting to see if we have this matchup on CBS Sports uh, National, which would be in New York, of course, Channel 2, but check your local listings around the country where your local CBS channel will be for national. It would be nice if they do it. I think it would be a major, major victory for CBS for the way they have handled and produced uh, professional soccer, not just the NWSL, not just the CONCACAF Nations League and Serie A, the Argentine League and the Brasileiro, um, what they've done for these CONCACAF World Cup qualification games, you know, through CBS Sports Network as well as the Paramount Plus app, uh, which I have, um, you know, they've done an amazing job. And then, of course, end of March, it's all remaining, all on the line, on the road at Mexico, of course, at the Estadio Azteca, at home to Panama, and then on the road to finish it up at the National Stadium in Co- against the Ticos over in San Jose to take on Costa Rica, where they've always been dominant at home. Costa Rica, but who knows, the way that their national team has been playing, uh, maybe they'll get some young players in there. They're going to go in there and find a way to probably get a victory or not. But let's see if the USA uh, can get a big, big result down there. A draw would be a very good result, but if they get a win, a big result. But we can't be worried about matches in March. We must worry about the first match in, in January, and that is El Salvador at home in Columbus at lower.com field. Um, as we continue on, if you'd like to have your uh, say in this conversation, phone line is open right now at 646-929-1823. And serious questions only about the U.S. men's national team and how you think they're going to uh, be playing next, next year for these remaining six games. <coughs> if they qualify for the World Cup, Excuse me. And if you want to comment on this matchup, you can go ahead and do so if you wish to call in. So uh, it should be uh, very interesting. Now, once again, um, we're seeing some players getting opportunities here that would normally not get opportunities. Of course, you're seeing Ricardo Pepe playing towards the back end of his calendar year. Uh, Ferreira, his teammate at FC Dallas. Uh, of course, Jordan Morris, as we saw him play. Uh, we're seeing George Bello playing well for Atlanta United as well as he could. A lot of good young players getting their first opportunity on the national team match on the roster. And, you know, um, once again, it's just an introduction to being 
on the international roster of having their first international game. I think, I think as everyone knows, <clears throat> Brian Reynolds coming from Roma at Serie A, my goodness. Um, I thought he had a very good match, nothing to basically write home about. I thought he was strong and steady, and he just performed very solid out there. Uh, no problems at all from Brian Reynolds. And uh, all you can say is that if Jose Mourinho continues to give him that opportunity uh, over at Roma, um, you know, why not? Why not? I think he's deserved of, a, uh, of an opportunity. Now, I don't know if he'll be getting any opportunities further down the road, you know, being between these final uh, World Cup qualifiers, these final six World Cup qualifiers, um, which there'll be plenty of friendlies to be played, of course, before the roster will be out. And once again, not just the roster being out, but when these players will be uh, released to go to Qatar and perform. Um, basically, an opportunity to go out there and, and have some fun. But once again, I, I really believe we're going to need some friendly games to be played in January. And it's going to have to be against, you know, European opponents who have been eliminated from the World Cup. Because I just don't see um, these teams who have already qualified for the World Cup uh, to be to be used <clears throat> or to, to uh, devote their time. Maybe those nations that uh, were eliminated in World Cup qualifying, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, Romania, or Hungary. And I'm not saying you don't want to go against the best of the best, but, you know, once again, this is the, you know, this is the World Cup. And, you know, you've got teams that are going to be, you know, getting ready for a playoff in Europe. Maybe they'll be available in March. But until we get to see who's going to be playing against the U.S., in a friendly, before we get, even get to those last six qualifiers, we're just going to have to see how much wheeling and dealing U.S. soccer is going to have with certain opponents from certain parts of the region, or at least uh, you would have to say, you know, maybe somewhere from Europe if you want to give them, a, you know, the best uh, chance at fighting. And we, because we need to see certain players getting that opportunity to go out there and play hard. I mean, obviously, Giovanni Reina... Um, is on an international break for Borussia Dortmund. And, of course, you know, he's lucky enough to have Erling Holland with him right now on Dortmund uh, to go out there and do uh, some damage. Chris Richard, of course, uh, could be brought back in. Yunus Musa, uh, once again, very important player. And this is where I think it hamstrings uh, Greg Berhalter a little bit when you're getting to those January games. Because let's not forget, once again, you have to see where you know, the Mexican national team and the Liga MX games, are they going to be under the same scrutiny as well? Are they going to be under the same scrutiny? Or are they going to have at least enough time to get some matches in before, you know, these, you know, these league games in Liga MX? Now, don't forget, that's why they're able to do what they're able to do in CONCACAF Champions League games because they play at least... Uh, a little over or just a little under uh, a month of matches 
before they get to the round of 16 to face off against these lower-level teams in the region of CONCACAF when you're talking about, you know, what I think was that one has to face uh, Hamilton Forge, another one's going to have to face against, uh, a, you know, a Guatemalan side, a Honduran side, a Costa Rican side. Uh, as you've heard my show this past Wednesday, uh, which was the draw review show on the CONCACAF Champions League for 2022. Uh, you know, Cruz Azul, uh, Pumas, Club Leon, Santos Laguna. So, you know, there's going to be some big question marks, no doubt about it. But, you know, you're just going to have to wait and see what the situation is going to be. Because there is, I mean, you know, in my in my opinion right now, the January windows are going to be very, very tricky. And it's not so much about opponent. It's about fitness. And will we have a friendly or two before we play against uh, El Salvador and before they go to Canada? And let me also say this as well. Canada is in the same boat. Canada is also in the same boat. Because we all know the three MLS teams that play, uh, you know, with our clubs here in the U.S., Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, you know, they start the same time that American MLS clubs start, end of February, beginning of March. Um, Canadian Premier League teams, I'm not sure when they start. They're, they're brand-new season, but, you know, that's a situation where you've got to be careful and you've got to make sure that those players are, you know, are you know, Canada going to have a couple of friendlies themselves? And the question is, will it be, you know, back in Canadian soil or will it be on the road in a warmer climate down in Florida or in Texas? You know, there are other stadiums now, especially in the state of Texas, where you have multiple stadiums made for soccer in the different cities and towns in the state of Texas. Like we already know about Austin, FC and their stadium. Obviously, the, the Austin Bowl no longer around. Um, but it looks like they're going to be, you know, the organization is going to be moving to a different uh, Texan city, another town or city in Texas uh, that, that hopefully they'll build a soccer-specific stadium for them in USL Championship League. Uh, so they will not be around for 2022 season in USL Championship. But, you know, uh, they could play in San Antonio. They can play down in Houston. They can play in Frisco, just outside of Dallas. Uh, like I said, there's two stadiums in Austin. There's one by the racetrack. I understand it's a long way to get to, but you never know. They could also go uh, to downtown Austin to play at the Q2. They could also go to HEB Park in Edinburgh, Texas, over where Rio Grande Valley Toros have their stadium as well. So, you know, Canada can choose if they wish to play friendlies away from um, – Away from Canada, they can have a closed door if they wanted to, or they can go and have it over in Toronto or in Montreal or in Vancouver. Vancouver, uh, of course, has the uh, BC Place, which is the dome is covered. There's a there's a uh, uh, a dome there, uh, inflatable dome. Same thing in Montreal. They can play a friendly at the Olympic Stadium uh, within the vicinity of Stade Saputo in the Olympic Park. 
or they can just go to BMO Field to be outdoors. Or if they wish to play inside Rogers Center, just cover up the infield dirt and everything, they can just go ahead and do that. So, you know, a lot of um, options for Canada moving forward. And, you know, Mexico is Mexico. We don't have to worry about them. But once again, it's a situation where for the U.S., there is plenty of moments here for the United States to do something big. Um, and once again, I, I just feel like, you know, they cannot lose this opportunity to move forward. And when you're talking about this situation, when you sadly get eliminated from qualifying for a World Cup, it's just really, really difficult to see that happen for this national team. And, of course, for all the fans. For all the fans. And especially the media. Because there was an opportunity here to go to Russia. And the players of old, they screwed up. They put themselves behind the eight ball. And they have nobody to blame but themselves. And U.S. Soccer said, you know what, it's time to make the move to go younger. It's time to go and clean house and just go out and do it. Go out and do it and put our energies into bringing up young players and giving them an opportunity to go out there. And so far they have. They've done a good job. And, you know... Once again, I am not going to assume that our national team has already qualified. They're going to take one of the top three spots because that would be foolhardy. We've seen what's happened in the last cycle for qualification. We've seen the situation uh, coming out of nowhere and the shock and the disappointment of our national team not even qualifying for Russia, it has been an absolute uh, nightmare, an absolute nightmare. But, you know, if once again, once again, if our national team can go out there and perform at a high level and dominate, we should be able to qualify for the World Cup. And, excuse me, and, um, Just taking a look at the octagonal standings right now, we're watching here um, from the FIFA FIFA website and their World Cup uh, qualifying section of their website for the World Cup. After eight games, this is where we stand right now. We have Canada in first place, the only national team in this confederation undefeated no losses whatsoever. Four wins, four draws for 13 points. The United, excuse me, for 16 points. That was the goal four. Uh, my bad. Sorry about that. So once again, Canada, four wins, four draws, no losses, 16 points in first place. The United States, we have four wins, three draws, and a loss for 15 points. Second place. Mexico. We have them tied for third place with Panama 
with 14 points. Same record, four wins, two draws, two losses. Um, but Mexico is a plus two ahead of Panama. So at this moment in time, if the top three have qualified for the World Cup, they automatically go. And Panama right now would be in the international playoff spot as they are in fourth place. Now behind them, the top four is the bottom four. Costa Rica, not a giant hill to climb, but uh, fifth place with nine points, two wins, three draws, three losses. And then Jamaica, they are in sixth place with a win, four draws, and three losses. And uh, they have seven points. Just to let everyone know, if no one is aware of this, Theodore Whitmore has been sacked by the Jamaican Football Federation. So he is done managing the international game as of right now. Who they've brought over, I do not know, uh, but hopefully we'll get some news on that. El Salvador in seventh place with six points, um, with a win, three draws, and four losses. And then, of course, Honduras dead last in eight matches, three draws, five losses. And one of those losses was against the U.S. men's national team when they had a 1-0 lead at half, down in Honduras, and then, of course, the four unanswered, the four unanswered goals that just came out of nowhere and blitzed Honduras to end that September window on a positive when it was a really a major negative to have two draws and a, you know, and you're thinking... Two draws and a loss. I mean, what the hell is going on here? How do you start a World Cup qualification campaign? But if not for that amazing second half and the four goals scored, well then, it's a whole different ball of wax, isn't it? And then, of course, the two big victories at home um, against both Jamaica and Costa Rica, even though they had that loss in Panama. And then, of course, the big victory over Mexico once again and then the 1-1 draw down in Kingston at against the Reggae Boys of Jamaica. And should have been a 2-1 loss, but because of a referee blunder, the whistle blew, and uh, that moment saved the United States bacon from going into a, lo- a second loss in this qualification campaign. But once again, it is a situation where you have to say it, um, it, it's a situation for the United States that they must qualify. And you qualify uh, any way, shape possible, any means possible. Um, and if you want to talk about coaching right now, not many people will say this, but I mean, I will say this. I'm going to give Greg Berhalter uh, a B minus in this. And, and this is why I'm giving him a B minus right now in 2021. The only thing that does not lower that grade are the three victories against Mexico in CONCACAF competitions. Obviously, the CONCACAF Nations League final, defeating Mexico in extra time, three goals to two. And then, of course, with a uh, makeshift roster for the CONCACAF Gold Cup final, defeating Mexico once again in extra time by a final of a goal to nil. And then, of course, the two, the Dolce Estero 
victory in World Cup qualifying. Three straight victories over Mexico. Three major victories within a calendar year. That is incredible within itself. But I still feel Burhalter is missing something to go with his national team coaching uh, records. And the truth is, the truth is, is this. I believe his substitutions are still lacking. And I'm not talking about making subs at half when he has to. I'm talking about the roster decisions, the starting 11 decisions, the substitution or lack of substitution until he's forced to do something, uh, or the lack of not making this up until it's too little too late. Because once again, you have a, a head coach in John Herdman who, say this again until I'm blue in the face, he has outcoached Greg Berhalter. Two of the last four times that these two men have faced each other in official competitions or even in friendlies. Right now, John Herdman, two and two. Because once again, people laughing at the U.S. saying, how do you lose to a team like Canada? When in reality, I'll tell you how you lose to a team in Canada. When you take off your best player at that particular time in the road match of the CONCACAF Nations League at BMO Field, you are allowing John Herdman to take control and take advantage of a negative. It's not so much how dare they lose to Canada, It's not assessing the situation properly. I try to watch as many international friendly games as I can, whether it be friendlies or international competition. Confidence goes a long way. Confidence goes a very, very long way. And in my opinion, John Herdman has done this for the Canadian men's national team. You talk to many, many Canadian soccer fans, or you talk to those Canadian uh, soccer media people, and you ask them all these questions about what, how are they doing this? What is the, what, how are they able to make this thing work? What, what changed? What has changed for the Canadian men's national team? I can definitely tell you what's changed. What's changed is, is that John Herdman has brought in a tremendous amount of confidence to the men's national team. Where there was a time when you have someone like Octavio Zambrano, who is a tremendous head coach. Club-wise, not sure about national team-wise, but, you know, knowing Octavio, knowing Octavio the way I have, You know, what he's done in MLS with the Los Angeles Galaxy and then, of course, with, at the time, the Metro Stars before, of course, they became the New York Red Bulls, uh, being with Peter Vermees at 
Sporting Kansas City uh, as an assistant coach. You know, Octavio Zambrano has done amazing things as a manager in club football. And when Canada hired him, when Canada soccer hired Octavio Zambrano, I said to myself right there and right then, this is a man that's going to lead Canada to qualify for the World Cup. When I learned that Zambrano was hired to be the men's national team head coach for Canada, right away I said, this is a man that's going to lead Canada to qualify for a World Cup. Saw him managing uh, the Gold Cup tournament back in 2019, I want to say. Could have been earlier, 17. I have to double-check that. And, yeah, I mean, you know, look, you know, when you're taking on some of these island nations, you know, it's a given Canada's going to be a dominant team then. Alfonso Davies was just getting started for the national team. He was definitely playing his best. And then you're seeing some of the older Canadian uh, national team players joined with Davies. And, you know, you have Lauren there. And, you know, everyone's getting better and stronger. You know, there's still some issues here and there. But, you know, you're thinking to yourself, this is the start. This is what you want if you're Canada. That you're going to qualify for the World Cup. Probably, I think it was 2017. But anyway. But anyway. Um, 2019, John Herdman. Uh, of course, coaching Canada for the Women's World Cup. Canada getting eliminated in the uh, knockout stages. And then... All of a sudden, John Herdman comes out of nowhere. Actually, it was 2019, yeah. John Herdman comes out of nowhere, and, you know, all of a sudden, you're hearing rumors talking about how, or at least the news, that Canada fires Octavio Zambrano and decides to allow the women's head coach to manage the men. And I'm thinking right now, what is Canada doing? What is Canada soccer doing? Why are they getting rid of Zambrano? Why? What is the point? Because they feel that they're going to lose someone that important who was managing the women? I thought, you know, it doesn't matter who's managing what, you know, male, female players, it doesn't matter. As long as the manager knows what he's doing, he'll find a way to make the whole thing work. But you're questioning the situation. You're questioning the situation about what the Canadian Soccer Association did. But uh, if we're truthful about it, it looks like Herdman played his cards right. It looks like Herdman has done the impossible. And look at how Canada is winning. 
Look at how Canada has been winning and doing a job. They have been winning. They've been doing it with confidence. And this is an opponent the USA has to be extra careful with. And the truth is, Greg Berhalter did not want to pay attention to it. He did not want to look at it. He just assumed when that opening goal went in past past Borjan that eh, we're going to run him over. We're going to do everything. Hunky-dory. We're going to do it. We're going to go ahead and we're going to lead and we're going to win and it's all three points. Made no subs almost 40 minutes after the injury sub to Serginio Dest to get him out down in Nashville at Nissan Stadium. And then he brings in three subs after Herdman made three to four subs of his own. (coughs) After the U.S. scored, after Lauren scored the equalizer, made at least two more subs. And then the rest is history. The rest is history. Now, for Canada, for Canada, they have an opportunity to claim the top spot of the uh, octagon. And for the United States, and of course, you know, Greg Berhalter said in his interview with Fox Sports, you know, all he's worried about right now is the match against El Salvador at home in Columbus. But of course, you know, we can look ahead. And all I'm saying is this. They need to exact revenge on Canada. They must exact revenge on Canada. They must at least get a draw in Hamilton, Ontario. If they get a win in Hamilton, Ontario, it is the biggest result that they'll ever have against an opponent that was once inferior, now must be feared. As great as the USA-Mexico rivalry has been, I have always said, I want to see Canada improve, and I want to see Canada become a better, better side. Now we have it. It was great to see all these other nations in Central America and the Caribbean trying to grow and become bigger and stronger. I'll tell you right now. The United States, you want to prove you're the best of the best in this confederation? It's not just proving it against Mexico. Now you have to watch your back against Canada. El Salvador, you have to be extra careful because they are a plucky side. It's not about talent. It's not about technical ability. It's about will. 
It's about Hugo Perez, who's managing El Salvador. Now, I don't know if he'll remain there once this qualification cycle is over with, but if he does remain there, I truly believe he will improve El Salvador. The Estadio Cruz Castellan is always a horror show to play there if you are a visiting opponent. That is for sure. But if you want to make this El Salvadorian side dangerous from, you know, from home and on the road, you have to watch out. I'm not saying you have to completely respect them, but you have to show a little bit of respect. And you have to go out there and you have to find a way to beat them. Once again, you show a little bit of disrespect. Just enough of a crack in the door, in the window, in the shutters, the basement door, the back door, even inside the roof of a house, you will get destroyed. And they'll take advantage of it. Believe me, they don't want to knock off the giants. The United States, Mexico, very soon. I don't know if it is very soon, but maybe it is right now. Canada is moving on up to the penthouse. Because that's the north zone. I would not be shocked if Canada qualifies first. But the only way that's not going to happen is if the U.S. goes out, beats Canada, and beats the remaining four to six opponents to qualify for the World Cup. They may do it by February. They may do it after the first match in March of the three-match window. And that will be down at the Azteca in Mexico City. Mexico is still Mexico. But as we are seeing it right now, there is signs this roster is aging. And the signs are very large. And I think after the loss up in Edmonton, and even though the conditions were not the best, (laughs) the truth is, Mexico knows now. They can't just assume because of their name, because of all the years and years and years of domination of this confederation, that these national teams are going to fear them. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Mexico, they're not in big trouble, but they are in trouble. So they are definitely going to have to find a way to, to bleed in some younger players whether they are from these clubs in Liga MX or they're going to try and pry some of these Mexican-American players to wear the jersey of El Tri. 
until that happens, Mexico might be lucky to earn results on the road. But if they get a loss at home, it's a killer. It is an absolute killer. And we will see what happens down the road with Mexico. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this will be it for tonight's show. I know I didn't talk much about the friendly. Uh, really not much to talk about, to be honest with you. Just talk about the goal and this for uh, Cole Bassett to get that tally late in the match. Um, strong first half. Not really a good second half. Everyone's like tired legs and everything, but that's okay. But once again, it's about those last six World Cup qualifiers in January, February, and March. Those are right now the most important matches for Greg Berhalter to dissect and get the most amount of points possible to qualify for the World Cup. That's the only thing right now that is more important for this national team. We'll see what happens. Don't forget, next week, the final two shows of the 2021 season, Tuesday night, the 21st, uh, U.S. Open Cup Amateur Clubs Qualified. That second show, the number two right there. And then on Wednesday, the 22nd, the final show, officially for the 2021 Forest Teens Fire American Soccer Show season. I hope everyone can join me and listen, and uh, you know we can all talk about what's going on in American soccer for the last time. But once again, the final score, the U.S. men's national team defeating Bosnia and Herzegovina by a final of a goal to nil. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Have a good night. Take care so long. And bye-bye for now.